Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this morning, God. Thank you for your presence uh, with us, God. Lord, I want to thank you this morning for your love for us, God, that you, you're looking down upon us right now, God. I, I, I believe this with all my heart. You're not, you're not angry at us. You're not holding a hammer ready to belt somebody, even if, humanly speaking, we may feel like somebody needs it. Lord, you're not looking for reasons to judge us, but God, right now you're looking for reasons to pour out love and blessing upon us, God. And Father, I pray for each of us in this room, Lord, that we would, God, be able to open up our hearts, be able to lay aside our own opinions of ourselves and just receive from you this morning, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. (laughs) Well, we've had a pretty massive week this week. Uh... Just over a week ago, we, we, we found out that the people that own our house had decided to sell their house. And it, we found out by being told, uh, hey, guess what? We've decided to sell our house. Tomorrow we're going to have tradesmen running through the house and everything. And so it's, our life has been a whirlwind for the last uh, week and a bit. Um, so we are officially homeless. We're vagabonds, I guess. Technically we are, aren't we? We're... We're kind of homeless at the moment. We're living out of a suitcase. Uh, thankfully, Jackie's work has been very gracious to us, and they've given us a room there. And uh, tomorrow morning, we pack our bags back in the car. And like, the, anyone see that movie that showed the littlest hobo? Maybe he used to be on with the dog. He just roamed from town to town, like you know. But everywhere he went, the dog was a blessing, wasn't he? Everywhere he went, he would save lives and marriages, and he would bring healing and so on. And uh, so we're kind of like the littlest hobos at the moment, living from place to place. But you know what? God's still good. And uh, things happen in life and we get shocked, but God's not shocked, he knows. And when I arrive on the scene, God already arrived there before I did, so he's already got things worked out and plans and purposes and so on, so we don't need to panic, Um, we don't need to stress, we just need to learn to trust in the character and the nature of our God, that God is good. Always good. It doesn't matter what we're going through, how we're feeling, uh, how we're looking at life. God is always good. So I just want to speak that out. Not so much that you need to hear that, so much as I just want to say it this morning. God is very, very good. Amen? He's a good God. He loves us. He's for us, not against us. Uh, He fights our battles when we don't know how to fight. I was saying to Jackie yesterday uh, that I feel like I'm a boxer in a ring. And you know, the bell goes and the round is over and you sit in the corner, you sit in the movies and you're sitting in the corner and you're beaten and you're battered and someone's fanning you and somebody's spraying water on you and and you look across to the opposite corner and there's the opposition and he's sitting there too. But you know what, he has not got a bead of sweat on him, he's not bleeding, he's got nothing. And he's just eyeballing, waiting for that bell to go so he can get back up and pummel me again. That's what I feel like. I feel like I'm sitting there going, I'm in this ring, I'm in this battle and I'm just beaten and uh, my opponent's waiting for the ding of the bell and guess what, I'm going to have to stand up again because that's what you do when you're in the middle of a box. You've just got to get up when the bell goes and he's going to come at me and he's going to keep going. But then I realised this morning, hang on a second, there's somebody else in the ring with me and his name is Jesus. And uh, I'm not fighting my own battles here, but God is with us. And God is, th- you know, God's really good. He throws sneaky punches. So I'm just sort of standing there like this, trying to, trying 
trying to save myself, get away from the outstretched arms of, of the other guy. And every now and then, God just goes, bang, got you. You know, I've got you another one. So it's good to have God on your side. I guess that's the point. It's good to, good to be with God. None of that has absolutely any relevance to what I'm going to share this morning, but that's free. I just want to give that to you. Um, and just a reminder too, before I do share, because we do have some new faces here, we don't pass offering buckets around and plates around and so on, um, but we do have a mailbox up the back, and uh, I've actually had somebody ask me, is that where your bills go? It's not where our bills go, um, but what goes in there helps us cover our bills. Um, so for those of you that call this place home, that's where our tithes and our offerings go. If you're visiting from another church, let me encourage you. I believe in tithing, but I believe you should tithe to the church, to your actual church. Not Don't, don't come in here and, and tithe to us if you want to give an offering above your tithe, whatever. But your tithe should go to your local church because they're doing great things wherever they are. They're, I'm sure, planning to reach their community and do something wonderful in the space with the time that God has given them. So, uh, But for those of you that are family here or, 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 or those that are checking us out, uh, we don't not pass it around because we don't um, believe in tithing and stuff. We just don't do that because uh, those that come to church here, your family, and when I used to go to my auntie's place, uh, I knew where the biscuit tin was. In case you haven't noticed, I love mint sliced biscuits, always have. And uh, I'd walk into my auntie's house and I'd go straight to the cupboard, open up the cupboard door and go straight for the mint sliced biscuits. I didn't ask her where were the mint sliced. I didn't even ask her, could I have them? I'd just walk on in, open it up, and now it's this big family joke. Alan, just go straight for the biscuit tin. He knows where they are. Uh, but that's because that's what you do when you come home and you're with family. So that's where our biscuit tin is up there. And uh, so that's uh, we, we do take up tithes and offerings, we just don't pass buckets around. So, If you've got a Bible there, can you turn with me, please, to... Turn with me to Galatians. Why not? Sounds good. Turn to Galatians, chapter 5, I think. I should put my glasses on, I know, Jackie, but that's a sign of defeat. My wife's telling me to put my glasses on. I'm just saying it's a sign of defeat, not pride. Okay. Galatians chapter 5, verse 4. It says, You have become estranged from Christ, you who attempt to be justified by law. You've fallen from grace. Verse 5, For we through the Spirit eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. You have become estranged from Christ, you who attempt to be justified by law, you've fallen from grace. Back years ago when we used to be in Youth with a Mission, me and my wife spent about 12 years in there, and one of the great things I loved about YWAM was you're constantly hearing stories from the mission field all around the world. And one particular story has never escaped me. I've always remembered it, and, and I'm sure when I share this with you now, you'll probably never forget the story either. It was of an American Youth with a Mission team that had gone to the island of Haiti for an outreach and they were on the island and they were working in a particular rural sort of villagey area. And in this particular place, what they did was they didn't have flush toilets like we do. So what they did is they just dug these big holes in the ground. And then on top of the hole, they put a big piece of plywood and they would cut a hole in the plywood. And so you would just squat down and you would do what you do through the hole in the plywood over the big pit. And so this one particular day, this 
gentleman who was, uh, went to the toilet. He got up early morning and he went to go and he's squatting over this hole and a tarantula came from underneath the plyboard up and jumped up and latched onto his buttocks. And so he's panicked. He's jumped in the air like this, grabbed himself on the backside and come straight down like a pin through the hole. He got down to his hips and when he got to his hips, he went and was stuck. So here he is from the waist up, hanging out, screaming out to anybody that could possibly hear to come and save him. From the waist down, he's dangling down in this pit. Who knows what's in there, but he's hanging down here and he's screaming out, help, help, somebody help. After a couple of minutes, two of the uh, members of that missionary team came running to his aid thinking, oh, you know, he's being attacked by a tiger or someone's, you know. And they came running and here's this scene before them of half a man sticking out of a hole in the ground, waving his arms and the other half down where no part of the body should be. And so they run over and go, quick, we've got to help him. So what they do is they come over to him and he's, he's down here and they get either side of him and they, they, they brace their legs and each of them grab just under his arms like this, one on this side and one on this side and they're grabbing him and they went, right here on the count of three, let's rip him out. So they went, one, two, three and went to pull. But instead of him coming up, the plyboard snapped in half and all three of them descended into the abyss Two of them somersaulted and landed head first in the abyss, had to be airlifted back to the United States and had medical treatment. Um, Not a great story, but as I said, now you understand why I said you'll never forget that story. Who will never forget that story? When you go home today and you've got to do your business while you're sitting here, praise Jesus for the technology we have here. I want you to sit there and say, God, I'm thanking you for whoever invented this thing because it's a great thing. These two guys ran to this man's aid and what they thought they were going to do was helping him. But in the end, they didn't really help him much. What they did is they ended up putting him in the stuff and not actually helping him. Paul goes into Galatia and there's this church planted. And this church is thriving in Galatia. And the Galatian church is built on a very, very simple word, grace. It's built on a foundation of grace. But what happens, as happened in many places that Paul would go and plant churches, that teachers would come on in and their basic message would be this. Look, what Paul has said is right. You are saved by grace through faith. You, you have salvation by putting your faith in the finished work of the cross and what Jesus did. You are right before God because of what Jesus did. However, however, There's a few things you also need to do. And one of those things was circumcision. Now, basically what their message was, was that you are saved by grace plus this particular observance of the law. Or this particular observance of the law. So yes, grace is there, but the gospel they preached was a grace plus gospel. In other words, grace alone was actually not enough. This was the message these people were bringing to the church. Just like those two guys, they thought they were actually helping get this man out of the stuff. What they did is they pushed him further into it. And this message, these teachers came along and and some of them may have felt like they were doing the right thing. Some of them may have felt like we're helping you by adding to your knowledge, by teaching you a few more things. 
But what they were really doing is they were pushing the people further in the stuff. Because we're saved by grace through faith nothing else. There's only one thing that comes after grace and that's a full stop. It's a full stop. And if we think that our righteousness, our right standing before God is attained through anything other than grace, unmerited favour, then we are heading down a wrong path. If you're here today at church because you think you're saved by grace plus church attendance, you're missing out. If you're reading your Bible because you feel like I'm saved by grace plus by reading my Bible, you're missing out. If you tithe and give because you think I'm saved by grace plus my financial sacrifice, you're missing out. If you pray because you think I'm saved by grace and prayer, guess what? You're missing out. We've got it wrong. We are saved by grace through faith. There's nothing we can add to what the cross has done. What these guys were effectively saying was that the cross was about 95% effective, but it fell short by about 5%. And here's what you need to do to make up the difference. I wonder how many of us, without realising it, kind of feel the same way. Do we understand or do we believe that we are saved right now where you are? You might have woke up this morning with a bad attitude. Who woke up with a bad attitude this morning? Put your hand up. Oh, you righteous bunch of people, you. Come on. Not today. A good answer. Good answer, Vesna. Not today. Yeah, well, I'll ask you Friday. If we do church on Friday, I'll ask the same question. There'll be a lot more hands in the air. How many of you know? You're very aware of your shortcomings and your failures. Right now, you're sitting here in church and you're very aware of your, uh, the, the things that you do, the, the habits that you may have, the thought patterns, the processes, the relationship um, um, breakdowns, all that stuff in your world. You are heavily, heavily aware of your imperfections, as every human being is. We know that we are not perfect. Yet in the midst of my awareness of all my imperfections, God looks down upon me and he sees Jesus. God looks down upon me and he doesn't go, I have incredible love for you and if you would just clean up those couple of imperfections, I would love you a little bit more. If you would just do something more, then I would love you more. Salvation would have a greater impact on your life if you would just add whatever. We are saved by grace through faith. Now here's the thing, the passage we just read, You've become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by law, you've fallen from grace. How many of you know people who have walked with the Lord? They were on fire. They were passionate. They were, were, they, they were prayers. They were in the word of God. They attended church, went to camps, maybe led worship, maybe preached, ran churches. Did all the stuff. You know in their hearts they were, but today are no longer walking with the Lord. Who knows people like that? And what do we say about those people? We say they have fallen from grace. But did you know that's not what fallen from grace actually means? That's not what Paul is saying. You see, back in the day, Paul would write letters. It's not like today where everybody in Galatians had a copy of the Bible. 
They would write on parchment, they would write their letters and then they would be, be carried by somebody to that particular community, that, that faith community and they would all gather together and somebody would read that letter out. So Paul writes this letter and this letter is being read out to people who are in church. It's people in church who Paul's speaking to. What Paul's saying is this, you people sitting in church... If you have allowed this extra bit of teaching to get into your spirit, if you're sitting here thinking it's Jesus plus circumcision, or if it's Jesus plus obedience to the law, if you're thinking it's Jesus plus more prayer, or Jesus plus church attendance, or Jesus plus giving, or Jesus plus anything, if you think that you're justified, you in any way, shape, or form are adding to that by doing things, he said, you have fallen from grace. You've fallen from grace. In other words, if you think that there are any religious actions or things you can do that will make you more righteous in the sight of God, you have fallen from grace. You don't understand grace. And here's the scary thing. He says, can you wake that verse up there for me, Luke? Look at what he says. He says, you have become estranged from Christ. If you are thinking that anything you do adds to the way God sees you in terms of being righteous before him, you are actually living a life right now that is estranged from Jesus. This is what he's saying. He's he's speaking to people in church. What it literally means, estranged from Christ, it literally means this, that Christ has become of no effect for you. Think about that. Isn't that a frightening thought? Isn't that a frightening thought? That, you know, when I got saved, I bowed my knee to Jesus. I heard this good news about God, a God that loved poor old, messed up, dysfunctional me, who was imperfect, didn't know how to do the right things or the good things. I was just, I was just me. I was just me. And God invades my life and God began to change me. I don't recall ever trying to be good. Anyone else remember when you got saved? I didn't try to be good. You know why? I wasn't smart enough yet to know what things I should be doing. I hadn't learnt yet what the rules were, the rules of engagement of this Christian thing. I hadn't learnt yet that you, 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 can't, you shouldn't swear or you shouldn't, you know, what is it, dance, drink or chew or go with people who do or whatever the old Baptist saying used to be. I, didn't, I hadn't learnt that stuff yet. I didn't know that I had to read a certain amount of Bible every day. I didn't know that. I didn't know that I had to be in church every time the doors opened. I hadn't learnt that yet. I didn't know that I had to give, serve. I didn't know that I had to keep away from evil people. I didn't know all these things. But as I became more educated in my faith, am I the only one? As I became more educated in my faith, I began to work out the rules. And when when you we see it's great. How many of you love to work out the rules? I mean, you watch a sport and it makes no sense, absolutely no sense whatsoever. But when you work out the rules. Then you watch it and you feel like you're a little bit in control, don't you? 
Because I know more than the referee now because I can see that pass was forwarded, this should have happened. We love to know the rules. Religion is like knowing the rules. It's like working out how this thing works. You do this, you do that, you don't do this, you don't do that. These are the rules. And, And the reason we love rules is because it gives us a feeling of control. I'm a bit in, when, I, when I work out the rules, I'm now in control of doing those or not doing I'm in control because I've got the rule book. And Paul's saying when you start operating out of the rule book, when you start gravitating towards religion, you are actually estranging yourself from Jesus himself. You, what you are doing is going back to the law and walking away from the grace that Jesus offers us. You were saved by grace. I came into this relationship by grace. I accepted the unmerited favour of God and I started out walking my journey by grace. But at some point, things change. And we want to bring ourselves out from under grace and we want to start performing. Not only do we want to start performing, but we then feel like we now have the right to point fingers at the other people who aren't quite performing well. Forgetting that, hang on a second, they're under grace as well. Just because you don't want to live under grace anymore doesn't mean that other people don't want to. If you don't want the invitation of grace for your life, that's your choice. But don't point fingers at other people that are bold enough to believe God loves them as they are. Don't point fingers at other people who are bold enough to say, I want to stay under the umbrella of grace because it's the only way I'm going to be made right before God. It's not a performance. You have become estranged from Christ, you who attempt to be justified by law, you've fallen from, fallen from grack. Oh, that says grace. The one at the back says grack because the clock's in the front of it. You've fallen from grack. Nobody wants to fall from grack. It's not good. You've fallen from grace if you attempt to be estranged, if you, if you attempt to be justified by the law. You know what we have to offer the world? Grace. It's plain and simple. You know the difference between Christianity and every other major world religion? It's grace. Plain and simple. God's not waiting for us to do certain things and build towers and climb our way up to him through religious works and human effort. Because of grace, he came down to us. Because he knew we couldn't get up there. Many of us start our journey by grace, but then we get knowledge and understanding and we learn a few things and then without realising it, we begin to then move out from under grace and go, look, I've worked this out now, God, I know how to do it. You know, it's interesting, if you go back to, go back to um, the journey of the children of Israel, right? from... The minute that God starts interacting with them in Egypt to Mount Sinai, where the law comes, they grumble, complained, murmured, so on. But nobody dies. Nobody dies. When the law comes, they make this statement. I think it's in Exodus 19 somewhere. And the statement is this. We, we can do everything that you're requiring of us, God, everything you're asking. It sounds like a real humble, subjective statement, but 
It's actually an arrogant, proud statement. God, we can do that. We can obey the laws. We can. And what's interesting is from that moment on, children of Israel started perishing. Breaking laws and there was punishment. Breaking laws and there were consequence. And we see these people dying. When they came out of Egypt, it was all grace. God fought for them. God did what he did. He brought them through. He parted the Red Sea. Even though they stood on the edge of the Red Sea and said, you brought us out here to kill us. They murmured, complained and so on. God in his grace still said, no, grace. Opened it up and they walked through. But there came a point where they said, you know what, we can do this. We can do what you say, God. I wonder how many of us get like that. We come into this thing by grace. We know we can't. We know we need grace. We walk in, but we get to a point where we understand the rules and we start thinking, I can do this. And this is what Paul's talking about. When we start thinking that we can perform like circus monkeys, we start thinking, we've got this in the bag now. We know how to do it. I know what to do. I know how this thing works. When I start thinking like that, Paul says, you're actually estranging yourself from Christ. You are fallen from grace. Fallen from grace is not a person who once walked with the Lord and has walked away. Fallen from grace is a person sitting in church thinking that their religious works are garnishing favor with God. That's what fallen from grace means. That's what Paul is talking about here. We started this journey by grace. You know, there's so many teachings out there now that... And and I, I go back, I go back, I'll be honest with you, I go back to messages I preached 10 years ago and I listened to some of them. I found some old CDs and some old, you know, written, handwritten message things and I, I get about 10 minutes into them and then I toss them in the bin because I go, you know what, I'm just like these teachers that came into Galatia. I'm losing grace and I'm trying to say to people, look, it is grace, yeah, but it's also this, but it's also that, but it's also this. It's very subtle. It's very subtle, but if it puts the emphasis back on you to make yourself right with God, then it's religion. It's religion. Jesus never came to give the world another religion. There were thousands, thousands in the time of Christ. You know? We all know that great say, uh, thing that Jesus said, John 10.10. 10. Thief comes to steal, kill, destroy. I've come that they may have life and have it. Abundantly, not just normal life, but an abundant life. And he's not talking physically because he's speaking to people who are breathing with blood flowing through their veins. He's talking about another kind of life. He's talking about another kind of life. See, this good news, this gospel that we believe in, it's not about making bad people good. It's about making dead people alive. It's about bringing life to people. The grace of God brings life to people. You go back and you, you start in John chapter 9, you read the backstory to that statement. And Jesus is very clear that religion is the thief. I know we preach the devil's the thief, and yes, the devil is the thief, but in that instance, he's saying religion's the thief. A man born blind, Jesus heals him. Wrong day of the week. Should have waited the next day, come back, we wouldn't have the story in the Bible. But he picked a Sunday. <laughs> Jesus, always doing things on the wrong day of the week. Heals this guy. Religious leaders hear about it. They pull him into a room. They sit him down. They shine a light in his eyes. Who did this to you? How did it happen? He said, I don't know. I was blind. Now I can see Jesus did it. Ah, who did this to you? Come on. Look, dudes. I was blind. Now I can see Jesus did this. And they're nailing him. And he's just got this simple answer going, look, 
I was blind, now I can see. Jesus did this. So they call his parents in. The parents come in and they sit the parents down. And they put the shine the light in the parents' eyes and go, You! You're his parents. You tell us what happened. You tell us what happened. And the parents go, You know what? If we tell you the truth, which is this kid was born blind and Jesus healed him, you're going to kick us out of the church. <laughs> so we're not going to say nothing. So they turn around and go, He's over 18. You talk to him. So they go back to him. Tell me what happened. He says, you know what? I'm not going to change my story. I was blind, now I can see. Can you imagine the excitement in a man born blind who suddenly sees? To me, that's a picture of life. Can you imagine being born blind and then all of a sudden you can see? I can imagine him smiling from ear to ear. I can imagine him eyeballing every person just looking as they go past. People probably thought he was crazy. He's looking at everybody, seeing colours for the first time, lights, chickens, goats, hamsters. Walks past the local television shop and there's the football on. Jerusalem, we're playing Corinth. You know? I mean, he would have been buzzing. He would have been alive. He would have been on top of the world. And then these guys call him in, they grill him. And you know what they do? In the end, they, they kicked him out of the church. That's what they did. Read the story. They booted him out of the synagogue. Why? Because you were healed by Jesus. And they kick him out. And Jesus, the Bible says, when looking for him, when he heard about this man, Jesus goes looking for him. And he finds him and he starts his conversation with him and a crowd gathers. And that leads to this great statement, the thief comes to steal, kill and destroy. In other words, I healed you. You're full of life. By grace, you got what you got from me. And you're full of life and enthusiasm and energy and passion. And then the religious people sat you down and religion, the thief, because it happened on a Sunday, they're going to suck the life out of you, kick you out of the church, beat you down and so on. But I came to give you that life. Religion came to steal it and that's what religion does. It steals life. It makes us judgmental, makes us critical. It makes us the judge. We look at everybody and think we've worked it out because we know how religion works. But we're not called to a Christian religion. We're called to an offer of grace extended to us by a God who did everything. We are saved by grace through faith. I'm excited anyway. I don't know about you, but when I think about grace, you know, I used to preach a a church I was in years ago and I, I preached a series on grace and I preached for three or four weeks on grace. And I remember at the end of that being told by somebody on, in, in leadership there, at the end of the three weeks, they made this statement to me. They said, you know what? Look, we've done the grace thing. Now what should we preach on? And I thought, we've done the what? The grace thing? Like grace is a thing? Grace is everything. Everything. Thanks, Vesna. <laughs> grace is everything. We are saved by grace through faith. Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Can you put this up for me, Luke, please? Verse 9 and 10. I'm about to finish. About to wrap it up. But I want you to know two things today. One, you're saved by grace. Okay? I want you to know this. Stop questioning it. Stop looking at your faults, your shortcomings, your failures, your imperfections. Stop looking at it. Because there's this thing called the cross. And it was all covered and taken care of. And God is not in the business of making bad people good. He's making dead people live. He's about bringing life to people. Let me tell you what bad to good is. Bad to good is a byproduct of life to death. It's just a fruit of walking with Jesus. It's not what we do. We don't try to make ourselves good. What we do is we walk with Jesus in the grace and favour of him. And the fruit of that, the byproduct of that, is that we change. 
Watch what Paul said about himself. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 9 and 10. Wake it up on the screen there. This is Paul the Apostle who went around murdering people and doing all kinds of things against Jesus. And here's what he says. He says, For I am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. In other words, yeah, I've done bad things and I've failed. Watch this. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. I love that statement. I'm not only saved by grace, I'm becoming who I am by grace as well. See, grace is power. Grace is the power of God on the inside of me. I'm saved by grace, but I'm becoming the person I'm meant to be by grace. I'm not going to become the person I'm meant to be by striving in the flesh. Let me tell you something about the flesh. The flesh and the cross are opposed to each other. The flesh, you didn't come to the cross because your flesh drew you to the cross. It was the Spirit of God, the grace of God that drew you to himself. There's nothing in my sinful nature that wanted to find God. There was nothing in my flesh that wanted to find the cross. I didn't care. I wanted to find another drink, another party, another whatever. But God in his grace, before I even knew him, drew me by grace to himself. So he called me by grace. He saved me by grace. And he's going to continue to change me by grace. What we do is we get saved. We walk in that for a bit and then we go, now I've just got to learn the rules. Okay, I've got to stop, start, stop, start. And we become religious. And we're trying to change ourselves from the outside in by doing externally. God's saying, my offer of grace is this. I'll come into your life. I'll change you from the inside out. And when God changes you from the inside out, the change is lasting. When we do things from the outside in, we last a couple of weeks, a couple of months, year. And then guess what? Bang, bit of pressure. Something doesn't go our way. We're back to the person we were. But God's invitation is that I want to change you by grace. Paul says, I am who I am, not because I followed the rules. I am who I am, not because I'm a really smart theologian. I am who I am, not because I saw Jesus face to face, not because I've performed miracles. I am who I am because the grace of God on the inside of me has changed me. The grace of God has changed me. What do we have to offer the world? Grace. We have grace. You ever notice later on in Galatians, the contrast, the works of the flesh? Galatians might be further on in five somewhere. He says the works of the flesh are this, but the fruit of the Spirit is this. What did Jesus say in John 15, I think it was? If you abide in me, you'll produce what? Much fruit. You want to change? Don't strive to change. Don't try to follow a rule book. You want to change? Abide in the vine. Because if you abide in Jesus, you will produce fruit. What is that fruit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, all those things that we would say make a person good. You can try to be love, joy, peace. You can try in your own human efforts. But guess what? If you're anything like me, I'll get to a certain point and I snap. I was loving till that point. I'm patient to this point. And then, you know, I might be the only one in the room here. But I'll tell you now, I've got my limitations. I go, I, 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 God, I'm going to be patient. I'm going to be patient. I'm patient. I'm patient. And then all of a sudden, Aah! I had all these tradies walking around the house the other day. I'm trying to get stuff out. This poor older gentleman on the roof, he's, he's cleaning the roof, not realising the garage door's up. I've got my lounge suite out in the garage and all this gunk off the roof's coming on. And I got out of my car and I looked at it. 
And, and I had been patient, 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 patient. I looked at that and I just went, ah! <laughs> For the rest of the day, these poor old guys coming, going, oh, look, I'm going to clean here. Is that okay? Do you want me to shut the door? I ended up pulling him aside and going, you know what, mate? You're just doing your job. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have got frustrated at you. You're just doing your job. But when I go and see the owner, ah! it's your fault. We're saved by grace. And we're transformed and we're changed by grace. And I guess the question I want to ask you today, and other you know this, are you living in a space of grace? Are you living in a place of grace? Or are you tampering on the edge of religion? Religion will never satisfy. Religion will never fulfill you. Religion will keep you looking at yourself all the time. Am I doing it right? Am I dotting my eyes? Am I crossing my teeth? But if I'm standing in a place of grace... See, Romans 5, I think it is. Romans chapter 5 tells us that, that, that we have peace when we stand in a place of grace. For me, that's the biggest factor. Do you have peace when you think about your relationship with God? If you're second-guessing and you don't have peace, then let me challenge you. Maybe, just maybe. Maybe you've got grace plus. Maybe it's a grace plus gospel. Get back into the word of God. Have a look. By grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, so no man can boast. None of us are good enough, but he is. We're saved by grace. We were drawn by grace. And we will be transfer, transformed by staying in that place of grace. Amen. Father, I just want to thank you this morning for uh, your incredible grace. Lord, we, we see it, God, from Genesis to Revelation. And God, I know that we break up the, the Bible into bits and we call the Old Testament the law and New Testament grace. But Father, the truth is we can see grace right through that book. Because grace is not something you do, it's who you are. And Lord, I pray for each person in this room this morning. God, I, I pray for a fresh revelation of grace. Lord, you, you have put us here for a reason. We have a message for our community. Lord, we have a message for our nation. God, we have a message for the world, a message they so desperately need to hear right now. But Father, we know that message is not do this, do that. And God, we know that that message is not you must perform so that my God will love you. Lord, the message we have is that you love us regardless. God, the message we have is that we can't change apart from you. So how dare we expect people to change who don't know you? Lord, I pray for each of us, God, give us a fresh revelation of the grace of God, that you drew us by grace, that you saved us by grace, and that you're transforming us by the power of your grace. And Father, I pray for each of us in this room over the next seven days. Lord, give everybody in this room the opportunity to tell somebody about your goodness, Father, somebody who hasn't yet heard about it. And Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. Amen. God bless. Well, Still haven't quite worked out how you finish a church service yet. It's still one of my weak points. So uh, anyway, have a great week. And uh, maybe what we should do is have a band up there, and a, like a brass band or something, I don't know. Have, 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 have credits rolling on the TV screens or something. Or maybe I should just vanish. Maybe I should cut a hole in the floor and I just boom, go down or something. But I don't know. Anyway, have a fantastic week. There's, there's more tea and coffee and stuff there. Uh, don't feel like you've got to run out and help yourselves. And just a reminder, 6 o'clock tonight back here, combined church service if you can make it. Bless you guys.